One of the things we speak about in this week's parasha is the prohibition against stealing. And it's different in our parasha to Loisignoi Vinaser Sadibros, which is talking about kidnapping. Here we're talking specifically about stealing items. That brings us to the Gemara Sanhedrin, the Sium of the Gemara Sanhedrin, where it talks about the idea of the Irahanidachas, the city of idolaters that has to be destroyed, not only the people, but all of the possessions. What happens if somebody steals, in other words, takes one of those items which they're not allowed to take? And from that, the Gemara, firstly in the Mishnah and then in Abraisa, goes into a discussion about the anger that is brought into this world from theft and how theft is comparable to idolatry. Now, we need to understand why. Why would you compare theft to idolatry? And why does it bring this unusual anger into the world? We're also going to note some nuances between the way the Mishnah says it and the way that the Brisa says it. And effectively, the message is going to be that there are certain Averos that have a long-standing impact even after the person has no longer continued, no longer continues that particular behavior. The impact still exists in this world. And that's going to teach us an important lesson generally about how serious it is to steal, but also more a general lesson about the concept of teshuva. As long as a person hasn't done teshuva for something, there's a certain anger in this world, as we shall see. When you compare Lois Signov, do not steal in our parasha, to Lois Signov, do not steal in the Sadibros, the Gemara Sanhedrin tells us. So we know that our parasha is speaking about a person who steals money or possessions, whereas is you look at the context, these are all capital offenses, and so there it's talking about kidnapping. So we're going to focus in on the idea of stealing. So it's with regards to stealing money that it says in this Gemara in Sanhedrin, any person who steals, it is akin to serving idolatry. Now, we don't just use rash descriptions to compare things because we want to say how serious they are. If the sages chose this particular comparison, it's because there must be a similarity somehow between stealing and idolatry. Because we know that Chazal are so pedantic in their choice of words and so selective, move on. So for sure, when the Chachamim say that a person does a particular Avera, it is like doing idolatry or something similar. They're not just trying to show us this is such a serious Avera. It is as serious as if you served idolatry. Instead, the Chachamim want us to appreciate that there is something about this Avera, some theme of this particular Avera, that is similar to the theme of Avodah Zorah. Even though you could say that in a general sense about every Avera, as the Alter Rebbe says in Tanya, the truth is that every Avera that a person does is somehow similar to Avodah Zorah. As the Alter Rebbe explains in great detail in Tanya, that the second mitzvah in the Aserah Adibros don't have any other gods, in other words, Avodah Zorah, incorporates within it every single prohibition in the Torah. Why? Because at the end of the day, any time that a person does a Navera, you transgress something that Hashem says, that is a form of idolatry. That's a form of rejection of Hashem's absolute sovereignty. 
Now, if that's true for all Averas, that they all have something in common with Avodah rejection of Hashem's supreme authority, so then, if over and above that, we find that there are certain Averas that the Chazal say they are akin to Avodah that immediately tells you that there's something about these specific Averos that is even more like Avodah So here in the Gemara, when it tells us that stealing is like Avodah it means stealing is more like Avodah than any other Mitzvah, which is already like Avodah So we have to understand that how can stealing, which is effectively a transgression between humans, how could that be akin to Avodah Zorah, which is a direct rejection of Hashem? So that's what we're going to have to explore. What is it about stealing that makes it so similar to Avodah Sanhedrin. So to understand this, we'll look very closely at the end of Sanhedrin. Where the Gemara highlights something that shows just how serious Geneva is. So the Gemara tackles something the Mishnah says. The Mishnah quotes the Pasuk about an Irani Dachas, where the Torah says you shouldn't allow your hand to come into contact with anything of the spoils of Irani Dachas. It all has to be burnt. Says the Mishnah, So the Mishnah says, as long as there are Rishoyim in the world, Hashem's anger is directed at the world. Once we remove Rishoyim from the world, which apparently is talking about the Oiv Davidazar, you would think, but in a moment we'll show that's not the case. So as long as there are Rishoyim in the world, there's Hashem's anger in the world. Get rid of the Rishoyim and you remove Hashem's anger. So the Gemara then comments on that Mishnah, Man Rishoyim, who are the wicked people we're talking about over here, who we have to remove in order to dispel Hashem's anger in the world. Amarav Yosef. Ganvei. Rav Yosef says that these Rishoyim who bring Hashem's anger into the world are Ganovim. Now, but Sarflavin, we have to understand something. We have to understand what the Gemara was asking, and we have to understand what Rav Yosef answers. Aleph. Ma mokem lishoil besil mesechtes anhedrin. Man Rishoyim laachashalosh and roshem mefir kfar betanach kamer vechamer peyomim umeduba beinyan ikri b'shakar b'tarish shebiprokim akoyin b'sechazoi. Why are you only asking what a Russia is? Who's a Russia? The Gemara says, who is a Russia that the Mishnah is talking about? Now you ask. This is the end of Sanhedrin. So much of Sanhedrin spoke about Rishoyim. And so much of Tanakh discusses Rishoyim. Now, Ersh, at the end of Sanhedrin, you're asking, who are Rishoyim? Plus, how can you say that a Rasha is a Ganav when Sanhedrin itself, the Gemara Sanhedrin, listed ways in which a person is a Rasha, and pretty much any transgression of a mitzvah loisase makes a person a Rasha who is disqualified as a witness. So what's going on over here? The question seems so late in the game, and the answer seems so specific, where the Gemara itself has already spoken about a Rasha in very broad terms. So Biro Mephorshim, so some of the Mephorshim say that because the Mishnah that we're analyzing over here is a Mishnah that's basically talking about an Irani Dachas. And the Pasuk that says, don't touch any of the spoils, so that Hashem will redirect His anger away from you, was also 
because the entire context, both of the Mishnah and the Pasuk it was quoting, is all in the context of Irani Dachas. So now you have a question. What do you mean that Hashem is angry as long as there are still Rishoyim in the world? doesn't make sense. Because you would have thought the Rishoyim are the idolaters of the Irani Dachas, but that's impossible. You can't explain that we're talking over here about the wicked people of the Irani Dachas. Because the Pasuk that says, don't touch any of the spoils, which is the Pasuk about Hashem's anger, that happens after the Pasuk that tells us, kill all the inhabitants of Irani Dachas. That means we've already dealt with the sinners of idolatry and they're no longer alive. So who are these other Rishon that we're talking about? That's the question that fueled the Gemara's dismay. Which Rishon are you talking about? So which Rishon are we talking about after the Rishon of idolatry have been killed? As the Torah requires, who are these Rishoyim now that keep Hashem's anger in the world? So that's what Rabbi Yosef has to say in this particular context, despite all of the other definitions of Russia that we've seen prior to this point. In this specific context, we're talking about Ganovim. These are the Rishoyim who bring Hashem's anger into the world in this particular context, even after the Irani Dachas has been destroyed. Meaning, which Ganovim are we talking about? Those who illegally took spoils of the Irani Dachas, because everything is supposed to be destroyed. You're not allowed to take anything. So those people who took spoils for themselves, those are the Ganovim. They are the Rishoyim in this context. They're the ones who bring Hashem's anger into the world. Now you can see the flow. Don't touch any of the spoils so that you can remove Hashem's anger from the world. Meaning, so the implication is clear. As long as these guys who took spoils for themselves, the Ganovim of this story, are still around, then Hashem's anger is in the world. So now we get it. Yes, of course we know what Russia is, but we need to contextualize in this specific context, and we understand why the Gemara is asking a question, because we thought we got rid of the Rishoyim when we killed the Anshe'ir Anidachas. Now we know there are another group of Rishoyim, the people who help themselves to the spoils of that city. It's not, not straightforward just yet. Okay, so let's ask, Rav Yosef, why are you calling these people Ganovim? Surely the Torah over here is not addressing ordinary theft. It's addressing specifically those who took spoils out of an irhani dachas, which the Torah says you may not do. So then, Rabbi Yosef should really have chosen language that would match better with what they've done wrong. What they've done wrong is not classical theft. What they've done wrong is dafka, taking from the spoils. So Rabbi Yosef should have said that. Who are the Rishoyim? The people who take the spoils. And even technically, taking those spoils is not technically the, the normal definition of theft. It's an Avera, yes. It's not really theft. Who are you stealing from? Who did it belong to? The people who these possessions used to belong to are now all dead. You can only steal if you're stealing from somebody. 
The prohibition against taking these spoils is because there are certain things that Torah says you may not benefit from. There's a lot of halachic discussion and debate whether or not this has anything to do with theft. Even though you will find in both halachic terminology and in Torah itself that we refer to people who take spoils they may not take as ganav. That was Hashem's um, rebuke of Yoshua that Achan had stolen from the spoils. He hadn't actually stolen. He had just helped himself to spoils that he wasn't allowed. But of course, all of those just tell us that the word Geneva could be used with regards to taking spoils. So it seems really odd that Rav Yosef makes it sound as if the whole issue over here is the stealing, which it isn't. The whole issue over here is disobeying Hashem who says you may not help yourself to the spoils. So why is he calling them Ganovim? Almost as if to say there's something about a Ganov that is a unique kind of a Rasha that brings Hashem's anger into the world. And this gives us the opportunity to discuss this issue. Why? Why Ganovim? So in So one of the ways that will help us to understand it is we'll look at the difference in language of how the Mishnah tells this particular story, and then the Brisa that follows, which tells almost the identical story, but not really. But Brisa Esau, the Brisa says, Rasha Charoin so the, the Brisa says, more generically, a Russia comes into this world, Choroin, Hashem's anger, comes into this world, and it quotes a pasuk from Mishlei, Shenema, Bevoi Rasha, Boi, Gam, Buz, Vim Koloin, Cherpa. The pasuk says, when the Russia comes, so there is this disgrace that comes, and with the rogue, so there is this uh, also kind of a disgrace, this embarrassment that comes into the world. Then the Brisa continues, Russia, once we are rid of a Russia from the world, that brings goodness into the world. As the Pasuk says, that when there's the loss of Rishoyim, there is rejoicing in the world. The Brisa then ends with a comparison that on the opposite end of the spectrum, when a tzaddik comes to the world, that brings tremendous goodness to the world. Like it says, that Noyach kind of brought a pause to all of the, 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 the bad behavior that had happened at that particular point in time. So, generally speaking, if a brise is more wordy than a mishnah, that's totally normal. Because when the Mishnayis were composed by Rebbe, as the Rambam writes in his introduction to Mishnayis, everything is very succinct, minimalistic words to convey many and complex concepts. Brises are the next generation down. Where the intellectual ability had diminished. So they needed more information and more support from Psukim to the concepts. That's why Brises generally have a lot more discussion than the Mishnahs do. You find that very often throughout the Shas that certain topics are given in very uh, short presentation in Mishnah 
and much more detailed in the Brisa. So generally speaking, if the Brisa tells us more than the Mishnah does, and it's this Brisa brings Pesukim as proofs, that's absolutely fine. But there is something strange over here about the Brisa, where the Brisa almost looks as if it does the opposite. What does need to be explained is how come over here the Mishnah and Brisa seem to actually work against their normal operating system. Because when the Mishnah talks about the anger that Ganovim bring into the world, it uses a longer expression. Remember, Mishnah is usually shorter. Whereas when you get to the Brisa, it shortens it and just says anger without enough. Now, why? Why is there a distinction between them? It might seem like it's nitpicking, but it's really not, because as we shall see, there are two very different messages conveyed here. But first, either way, we look at it logically, the Bryce's choice of word does not seem to work. If the Bryce is following from the Mishnah, it should say the same word as the Mishnah, and if it's not referring specifically to the Mishnah, and it's trying to compare the Rosh and the Tzadik, then Choron doesn't work as a word anyway. So Demi Monafshach. Anyway, you look at it, it doesn't make sense. In Mishnah, if the intention of the Bryce was to use language that follows on from the Mishnah, then the Bryce should have also used the full expression and if the Bryce actually built its entire presentation on the Pasuk that it was going to quote. So the Pasuk doesn't say the word Choroin. If anything, the Brysa should have then said, when there's a Rasha in the world, there is ban in the world. And that would be That would actually work as a nice contrast to what the Brysa itself says. When a Rasha leaves the world, good comes to the world. So you should have then said, when a Rasha enters the world, bad comes to the world. So once we analyze the nuances and difference between the Mishnah and the Brysa, it will help us to understand a lot more about a Ganev and why it is specifically that a Ganev is the one who brings this tremendous anger of Hashem into the world and why Rabbi Yosef used this opportunity. Although the Mishnah was talking specifically about the Iranidachas, Rabbi Yosef wants to use this as a great excuse to talk about how bad a Ganev is. So, the explanation all hinges on this dis- the difference between the Mishnah and the Brisa. It's not just a word difference between the Mishnah and the Brisa. There is a completely different content conveyed by the Mishnah and by the Brisa. At face value, the Mishnah, before we get to Rav Yosef, the Mishnah is talking about a very serious scenario, an Iranidachas, an entire city, the majority of a city that began to serve idolatry, the greatest rejection of Hashem, and therefore, obviously, that brings tremendous anger into the world. That's the Pshat of the Mishnah. That's why the Mishnah Dafka uses the expression Charoin Af, because as the Rambam tells us in the expression Charoin Af is typically only used with reference to Avoidazara. So now that we're talking about this horrible Avera of Avoidazara, the Mishnah wants to Dafka use the word Charoin Af. Whereas the Brysa didn't specifically say that it was talking about the Irani Dachas or Avoidazara. It was talking generally about the principle of a Russia and what a Russia does to the world. 
The reason why the Brisa is not addressing Avoida Zara is because Avoida Zara is a rare Avera. Specifically, Irahani Dachas is so rare that it's unheard of. And especially nowadays, because we know that Gemara Yuma tells us that they got rid of the inclination and the drive, the temptation for Avoida Zara. It's no longer an issue for us. Therefore, the Brisa is talking about Rishon Bichlal. The Brisa is just talking generally about Rishon. That's why the Brysa started off its conversation by saying, if there's a Russia, a Russia in the generic form, any Russia in the world, not an idolater, that brings anger to this world. That's why the Brysa is happy to use the word Choroin Stam, not Charoin Af. Charoin Af is a heavy word. It's an intense anger reserved for Avodah Zorah. The Brysa, unlike the Mishnah, is not talking about Avodah Zorah. So now we're seeing that there's a big difference. The Mishnah is focused on the story of Avodah Zorah and the extra anger it brings to the world. The Russia is fo- sorry, the Brysa is focused on a generic Russia and the ordinary anger that it brings to the world. Let's not say that the Mishnah and Brysa have nothing in common. They do have a common thread. The Mishnah said, as long as those horrible Rishoyim who served idolatry are in the world, there is this intense anger in the world. Similarly, he, who, she calls man yesh of So what's similar is that the Mishnah says, as long as those Rishoyim who serve idolatry are in the world, there is this intense anger in the world. Likewise, the Bryce is saying, as long as there is an ordinary Russia in the world, there is the ordinary anger in the world. That is the Nekudah the common denominator between the two. They're both conveying that as long as the evil remains, so the anger that accompanies it remains. The Mishnah is talking about one kind of very intense evil and therefore very intense anger. And the Bryce is talking about a generic evil and therefore a lesser anger. Now that in itself raises a question, and this is the important question that we are going to have to try and use to understand what we're, what we're supposed to be learning from this entire conversation. We get it in the Mishnah. The Mishnah is talking about this harsh Avera, Avoid Azara. So we get it. As long as that Avodah Zorah is not eradicated, we understand why there's so much anger in the world. As the Sifri says clearly, as long as there's any Avodah Zorah in the world, there is Haranaf. There's this tremendous anger from Hashem in the world. But we don't understand the Brysa. If the Avera that a person does, which qualifies them as a Rasha, is not so earth-shattering, it's an ordinary Avera, why do we believe that Hashem's anger lingers after the Avera is over? The person is no longer doing this thing. Why is there still anger? And that's the key that we want to understand. Why would Hashem's anger, so to speak, linger in this world if the action is over? It's not like the Avera that's still sitting there as, you know, like in-your-face kind of rejection of Hashem. Person didn't have error, they spoke Lashon Hora, they ate Treif, they broke Shabbos, whatever it was, it's done, it's happened, it's not happening. That's what we need to understand. 
Abirbo's explanation is Medik Lashaina Mishnah calls Mansha Horashoim Ba Ilam Vikhule. The Loikle Shaina Sifri calls Mansha Void Zora Ba Ilam Vikhule. Note the Mishnah and the Sifri almost look like they said the same thing. The Sifri said it clearly as long as there's a Void Zora in the world, Hashem is angry. But the Mishnah changed it. The Mishnah said as long as there are Rashoim in the world, Hashem is angry. Why did the Mishnah make that change? After all, the Mishnah is talking about Avodah Zorah. It is talking about an Irani Dachas. It is talking about Haroinaf, which is specific to Avodah Zorah. So why did the Mishnah say, Rishoyim, as long as they're around? Do you hear that? Not as long as that bad behavior or that icon of Avodah Zorah is around. As long as they are around, Hashem's anger is there. Why? Why did the Mishnah say that? Mochach Shelfia Mishnah. Fascinating what the Mishnah is saying. Obviously, what the Sifri says is true. If there is an actual Avoid Zara around, Hashem is still angry. Comes along the Mishnah to say, not only that, but even if a person took an item, from the Irani Dachas. They didn't take a getch, didn't take an idol. Took an ordinary item from the Irani Dachas. That makes that person now a Russia. Even if we, this, the basin, come along and take it away from them and put it back and burn it and get rid of it, that Russia perpetuates Hashem's anger against the world because of that behavior, and we need to understand why. That was the Gemara's question. I get it. The Mishnah is telling us something. That even after the Avodah is gone, there's a kind of a Russia that could perpetuate the anger that was associated with that Avodah even after the Avodah is ended. What kind of an action could that be? What kind of a Russia could have done that? That even after we've destroyed the city, killed the people, gotten rid of all the Avodah Zarah, there's still a perpetual Russia that still keeps Hashem's anger aglow. Who is that? To that, Rabbi Yosef says, I'll tell you who it is. It's the Ganovim who took things from the Cherem, from the, the spoils of that city that they should never have touched. Says Rav Yosef, these Rishoyim never served Avodah They had no Kesher previously to Avodah How did they enter the space of Avodah When they took something that the Torah said is off limits because it had belonged to Oivde Avodah The cave and Shadow and Asabayush and Gneva. Because these people became engaged with this Avodah Zorah through a process that is technically Geneva, even though it's not maybe halachically Geneva, but because they took something which didn't belong to them, so now you've removed the whole Avodah Zorah, but you haven't removed the Geneva. Their problem is still here. Their effect is still here. Their uh, anger that they initiated in the world remains in the world. We've removed the anger that the Avodah Zorah created, but the anger they created by ignoring Hashem's instruction not to touch those spoils, such anger is still here. Why? So here's Barad Vorim. The explanation is this. What is unique about theft is that when a person steals something, God forbid, 
until such time as they reconcile, until they, at such time as they resolve the theft, give back the item, pay their dues, the Avera perpetuates. As we're going to see in a second, that there, there are two ways you could view the concept of Geneva, and we dafka view it in a particular way, halachically, that helps us to understand what is so unique about Geneva. The Rogachova points out something so fascinating. There, there are various kinds of avarice that you can have, right? Mitzvah's lois, I say, negative transgressions. Some of them are what is called which means that it is a transgression, but it is linked to a positive commandment. Usually the positive commandment is how you correct it. That's one category of avarus. The Rambam does not list stealing in that category. Even though once a person steals, they have a positive commandment, that you have to return what you've stolen. So theoretically, you'd expect it to be in the category of a transgression linked to a positive mitzvah. The Rambam does not categorize it that way. He rather categorizes it as a transgression that you have to then compensate for having transgressed. Let's say that we categorized a transgression as linked to a positive commandment. Then the Avera happens at the time of the Avera. Later on, when the person fulfills the positive mitzvah, which is to neutralize their transgression, at that point the transgression is retroactively neutralized. Get it? So the person did an Avera on a Tuesday, and by Thursday they did the positive mitzvah that is supposed to correct that Avera. We now consider that already from Tuesday that Avera had been neutralized. Now that the Rambam categorizes theft or stealing as a lav hanitin letashlomin, that means the person did the Avera on Tuesday. From Tuesday, they became obligated to return the stolen item or to pay the penalty that is associated with the stolen item. They didn't. Now it's Wednesday. That means the whole of Tuesday and Wednesday, they've perpetually done the Avera of not repaying what they had stolen. By the time they repay on Thursday, it doesn't retroactively neutralize what they've done because it's been one long Avera over the course of all of the time that they refused to return the item. So, and that's the important consideration over here. When a person eventually pays the reparations for having stolen, at that point, they stop doing the Avera. But the Avera continued from when the theft occurred until the compensation occurred, even if that's over many years. It's a perpetual Avera. That is what is unique about stealing. It is a perpetual Avera until it is resolved. Which helps us to understand what this Mishnah in Sanhedrin is teaching us. Now that we know that theft is a perpetual avera and it remains in play until the person pays the money back, So now look at the scenario. 
normally a person steals, that Avera continues until they return the object that they've stolen. But in the case of a person who takes from the Cherem Irani Dachas, even if the basin comes and confiscates it from them, but puts it back into the pile and burns it with the Irani Dachas, we have nowhere in Torah that says that that person's Avera is now resolved because they don't voluntarily compensate. They're not fulfilling. There's no mitzvah. It's not nita klase in any way. There is no positive mitzvah that says if you took something from the cherem of Eiranidachas, you are obligated to return it. So therefore, from the moment they help themselves to that, to those spoils, they are doing a perpetual avera that remains in play pretty much indefinitely. That's what the mission wants to tell us. As long as those people are still Rishoyim, as long as they have not yet done to Shuba for the fact that they should never have taken from the Chayyamir and Nidachas, their Avera continues. And because the Avera is not an ordinary theft, it's a theft linked to Avodah which brings Haroin Af into the world. So the anger that they precipitated by taking from that Cherem is alive in the world until they do Teshuvah. Now the Brisa, as we know, is not talking about as intense a story as the mission is. We know that. So the mission is clear. Here is somebody who engaged in Avodah therefore they began a process of a enough in this world. They haven't yet done Teshuvah, even though they, that whatever they took was confiscated from them and burned, but they haven't done Teshuvah, so they perpetuate the Shachar Boilam. The Bryce is talking about a lesser case, an ordinary Russia, but not a completely divorced case. There's something about an ordinary Russia which is similar to this intense scenario of the person who steals from the, or who takes from the Cherem Irani Dachas. In the Mishnah, we are Dafka dealing with a scenario where the physical entity that was Avodazara is gone. All that's left is the person who sinned, who is still in a state of Russia because they haven't yet done Teshuva. That theme is something that you can identify in any Avera, including the bulk, the majority of Averas, which are not ongoing Averas. What is similar? There's no question about it that when a person does any Avera that it might be, at that exact moment, that person now has an obligation to do Teshuvah. From the moment of the Avera, they are required to do Teshuvah. So every single moment that goes past that the person does not do Teshuvah, even though they're not perpetuating their Avera, but they are perpetuating the fact that they're not doing the Mitzvah of Teshuvah, which began at the moment of the Avera. So similar to the Avodah Zorah, right? As, or the, uh, uh, to Geneva. In Geneva, as long as the person hasn't compensated, hasn't returned the item, they perpetuate the Avera. Similarly, from the minute a person does an Avera, they are obligated to do Teshuva. As long as the person doesn't do Teshuva, they are transgressing their responsibility to do Teshuva. This is the part that the Brisa teaches us. When there's a rush in the world, there is anger in the world. As long as this person still carries the title Russia, which means they haven't yet done Teshuvah, they perpetuate some level of anger of Hashem in this world. And 
And this Brisa didn't get into the specific of which Avera are we talking about. Because this Brisa is talking generically about the idea of Averas. The As long as, in, in the scenario of any Avera, as long as there hasn't yet been Teshuva, there is this perpetuating of Hashem's anger in the world. How could you not have done Teshuva? Now we can understand in an even better way why Geneva specifically is the one that is so similar to Avodah Zorah. What is Avodah Zorah? In the same ways we saw with Avodah Zorah, that as long as Avodah Zorah lives, so Hashem's anger is kindled against us. And it's called Manchesh Metzir Shalabedizboilam, Nimshach Boifen Tmidi Kharinaf Boilam. As long as there's the concept, certainly the items of Abedizar in the world, there is Hashem's anger. So that's what's similar to Geneva, as long as the Avera perpetuates, just like Avodazar, as long as it perpetuates, so Hashem's responsive anger perpetuates, as long as the Geneva perpetuates, so Hashem's anger perpetuates. Mashenk and Sharaveris, which is not identical to any other Avera. Even though every single Avera, like the Altareba says in Tanya, has a tiny inkling of Avodazara in it because it is rejectionism of Hashem. Still, so in any ordinary Avera, all that perpetuates is you haven't yet done Teshuvah, you haven't yet addressed the issue, which elicits some level of anger. But Geneva is the one that's like Avodah Zorah. You keep the Avera going. As long as you haven't um, given compensation, that Avera is alive. But there's still a question that we have to ask, and this question is going to help us to even fine-tune better how Geneva is similar to Avodah Zorah. Why did Rav Yosef specifically say Ganovim, thieves, and not Ganovim and Gazlonim, thieves and robbers? Why did he hone in, hone in specifically on, on, on Geneva? Also, why didn't the Brysa, when it talks about a tzaddik, it talks about goodness coming into the world. When it spoke about a Russia leaving the world, it said goodness comes to the world. Now, the opposite of good is bad. Why didn't the Brysa say when a Russia is in the world, then there is bad in the world? Why didn't Afka say choron, which is anger? Which brings us to the next question. Choren implies something which is even more intense than just bad. Like something bad is in the world. Choren means something agitating, something infuriating. So what is it about Averos that brings more than just badness into the world? Like fury into the world. Why? So in order to understand this, we have to look at what is the difference between a Ganev and a Gazlan, psychologically. It's a pretty well-known Gemara. The students ask Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, how come it is that the Torah is more strict with a Ganav who effectively breaks into a home when nobody's there and steals and now has to pay double what he stole, unlike a Gazlan who steals in broad daylight in front of others 
and only has to return the object that he had stolen. Why? and explain to them it's because the Ganav has this incredibly bad perspective on the world. Because look, the Gazlon, he might reject the fact that Hashem is watching, but he doesn't care about people either. Whereas the Ganav has prioritized people over God. Let nobody catch me. That's worse. And therefore his rejectionism of Hashem is why he has to pay extra. Now we get it. Why Rav Yosef wanted to say not just the specific scenario described in the Mishnah, somebody who took from the Cherem of, of an Irani Dachas, but Rav Yosef wants to expand it out to say all Ganovim are in a sense like Avoidozara and Dafka Ganov, not a Gazlan. Because the idea of stealing at night, in the dark, on the quiet, is a form of Avodah Zara. is, they just step back from the world and delegate it to other forces. Ganav, Hashem, step back from the world, he doesn't watch what's going on over here, it's okay as long as nobody catches me. It's a similar, smaller version of Avodah Zara. That's why the Brisa says that when a person does an Avera, it's not just that something bad comes into the world, but Choron comes into the world, anger comes into the world. Why? Because every Avera is a miniature version of Avera Zara. Any time that a person does an Avera, they're effectively making a statement that Abisha doesn't see me. He's too aloof. Like the Pasuk says, a person thinks they can hide in the most secluded places and Hashem says, you think I won't see you? In fact, Rabbi Yochanan Zaka, who we've just quoted, this is the famous kind of last will and testament that he told to his students, where he said, He said to them, Halavai, that your fear of heaven should be as great as your fear of people. So the student said, that's it? That's the big advice you have for us before you leave this world? He said, if only people would be able to live, live up to it. Know how, how people work. The nature of people is when they do an Avera, they say, please God, let nobody see me. Or as they say colloquially, the 11th commandment is, thou shalt not get caught. Now we get why the Brisa says that the retribution for any Avera is Hashem's anger, because Hashem responds to us in kind. Like the Pasuk we already quoted earlier from Mishle. If the person is a Rasha, what do they bring? Disgrace. If the person is a rogue, what do they bring? This, uh, this rejection. Because a person doing an Avera effectively disgraces Hashem as if to say, you can't see what I'm doing, so it's okay. That's why the response that one gets from Hashem is anger. 
וגם לאחר גמר מייסר העבירה, כל זמן שיש נהרוש עדיין יש נאחרון. Now even if the person has done, the avera is past tense, as long as they haven't done teshuva, that anger still perpetuates. כי כל זמן שאין לו עשר תשובה עדיין קיים הסיבוס האחרון, הוא עדיין במצב זה של עושה עין שמעת כאילו אין אירועי. That's the point. As long as a person doesn't do teshuva, the person is still perpetuating their belief and their perspective that Hashem doesn't see what's going on. So it's okay, I don't have to reconcile. That was the Bryce's message, that doing an Avera is to reject the fact that Hashem is present and, and sees everything, and not doing tshuva perpetuates the same thought, the same psychology. So if doing an Avera, so to speak, angers Hashem, as long as a person thinks, I'm okay, I don't have to do tshuva, they're prolonging Hashem's anger. So, we always know that the beginning and end of a Masechta are linked, and this particular Sikha is a Hadron completing the, the Masechta Sanhedrin. So, we're going to look at a link between what we've just learned from the end of the Gemara to what it says in the very first Mishnah. Go back to the very first mission, Sanhedrin. Over there talks about all the details of how the basin should be constructed and, and how it should work, etc. Starting with with the fact that if you have a normal civil financial suit, it goes to three judges. All the way up to the greatest, biggest court cases, which have to face a Sanhedrin of 71 um, judges. Obviously, each different kind of court will only judge on the particular laws that are relevant to be brought to that court. One thing that is common to the whole system, the whole legal system in Judaism, is that our courts are not only there to deal with crimes once they've been committed and to remove the, the perpetrators from society, but a core responsibility of the courts is to prevent Averos in the first place. Like it says in Tonad Veilio, a very um, well-known quotation, that one of the things of the Sanhedrin, not just the, the local magistrate's court, the Sanhedrin themselves, one of their responsibilities was the Sanhedrin, it says, they had to literally get off their seats and roll up their tunics and walk all over Israel to educate the community to prevent crime. When you think about it, it's, wow, it's really surprising. We know all the qualifications that you had to have to sit on the Sanhedrin. Incredible Torah scholarship, impeccable character, tremendous insight and wisdom. And the location of the Sanhedrin was inside the Beis HaMikdash. And the minute they're outside of the Lishkas HaGozis, they no longer have the status of the Sanhedrin. How, do, how then does the Torah expect that they're going to like chain themselves with these iron chains and, and get out there and, and educate the people? 
מעלה נוגה כזה זה מופלוגים בחוכמה סתרה בעל ידי מרובו בפרט כשאירים לעזב לשם ככה סליש כזה גוזיס וכל זויס כדי ללמד ולשמוע מחט יהודי אני נמצא באיזה מקום ביורס ישראל Because Kasha Yeshne Rosha Boyna Madavagurim Choren Shalakadish Borchu Boyna. Because if there's a Rosha in the world, that brings Hashem's anger to the world. And the end of the Masechta teaches us not only at the time of the crime is there this anger in the world, but it is a perpetual impact on the world until such time as it is corrected. Not only is it something which continues time-wise, but it spreads space-wise. As the Mishnah and the Brisa said, the anger comes into the world. So here's an individual who's done their Avera in their little corner. So of course it perpetuates in their world until they've done Shiva, but it's more than that. It perpetuates to the entire world. The whole world is contaminated, but this person's Avera. Every single one of us is impacted by that individual's Avera. Even these wonderful, great, illustrious people who sit on the Sanhedrin, They are infected by the Avera that somebody did who knows when the end of the world. Now you get it. Now you understand why they have such a tremendous responsibility to make sure that this never happens. That such an Avera should never happen. They've got to get out there and they've got to do everything in their power to prevent such an Avera which could have such far-reaching impact both in time and, and in, in the world and on the whole community. And with that we can understand another principle. Everything in Torah is a lesson for every single one of us. So then what's the lesson for every single Jew from the principle that a Russia brings anger to the world and a Tzadik brings goodness to the world? Don't tell me that it's just because the Torah wants us to know how bad it is to do an Avera because it gets Hashem really angry. Or to tell us that good things are really good and they bring you goodness in your life and reward, etc. You don't have to tell me that this Mishnah is there to highlight how bad it is to do an Avera and what consequences may follow and how great it is to do a mitzvah and what reward comes as a result because the Torah has already told us that in tremendous detail. The Mishnah and the Brisa in tandem are teaching us something absolutely exquisite. A person who does an Avera can very likely think to themselves, I know I have to do Teshuvah, and I will do Teshuvah, I promise you I'll get there. But why the pressure, why the rush? 
So the person will say, listen, I'm going to get to do Tushuv. In the meantime, I have other things to do, and some of them are really good things. I have some really important things to do. Why should I have to do Tushuv right now? There's other things. I'm, I've got projects and outreach and, and learning and davening. Or on the other side, a person knows that they should do a, a mitzvah, and they confirm, they, they, they take a resolution that they're going to do this particular mitzvah, and then say, but just not today. I'm going to get there. I have other things to take care of. I am getting there. In other words, there's a, a very a common attitude of procrastination when it comes to both doing teshuvah and undertaking new mitzvahs. That's what the, the Gemara wants us to understand. Here. That's not a way for a Jewish person to behave. In fact, that is against Judaism. Why? It's Osur. Because as long as a person hasn't done Teshuvah, the entire world is now subject to the anger that they've brought into the world. As long as a person has not done Teshuvah, it's not just them who may have some negativity to, to tackle. The whole world is on fire because of this. And obviously the same applies in the opposite uh, direction when a person does something good. When the Gemara and the Mishnah and the Bryce over here talk about a Tzadik, where the Bryce has said a Tzadik comes into the world, it doesn't mean a Tzadik of the Tanya's definition. Tzadik means somebody who's doing the right thing. When you do something positive, it doesn't only benefit you, it impacts the entire world. It upgrades the entire world. And in an ongoing fashion. Therefore, when a person considers the fact that my choices have such far-reaching impact, then a person realizes, I could right now remove Hashem's anger from this world. I could right now bring more goodness into the world. Not just into my life. It's not just my personal business. There's no question that has to wake a person, shake a person. And that for sure will push a person to make a good resolution to do Teshuvah immediately and to take on that new mitzvah immediately and that will bring goodness to the world. And like the Rambam says, it's like the whole world is hanging in perfect balance and that next Pu'ula Toiva can bring Geula, Yeshua, Hatzala, Loi, Ulechol, Ha'ilam, Kuloi, Ta'as, and Mitzvah to the whole world. We should be zoicha that our next action is that action that tips the scales and brings Moshiach immediately.